Let's pray together. God, we ask that you would challenge us with your word, creating us the community, the church that you've called us to be, so that the people around us will know who Jesus is. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you kids of the 70s, remember when, you know, school needed to raise some money or a sports team would raise some money and they sent you out into a dark, cold world with a catalog and an order form to sell something that looked like this. See if we get it on. There you go. Remember that? Those jars, the cheap wax candles, you know, probably some of you still have some of those in the basement hidden somewhere, right? You know, I was terrible at that, and I hated it every time it came up because I had to go talk like to adults in church that I never talked to at any other time, or even worse, I had to go up and down our street and knock on the doors of people I didn't know at all and try to get them to buy something they didn't want, right? I hated it and hated it and hated it, and I didn't sell many candles except to like my grandmother, okay? Maybe you know what that's like, and maybe at times... You feel a little bit that way about sharing the message of Jesus. What we call in the church evangelism, right? Because it feels a little bit like you're going out to talk to people and sell them something that they don't want. And it's super uncomfortable and you really just don't want any part of it. And, and that's just the way I think we feel. And, and maybe we have this sense that if I do that, I'm going to be, let's be honest, perceived like the weirdos who knock on my door, right? I don't want to talk to them, and people are not going to want to talk to me. So, what do we do with that? I mean, we just finished a series in which we talked about the power of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, how that points to our forgiveness and the eternal life we're going to have, and the resurrection that we're going to experience in the end. We just finished all that, and how that means so much to us, and and we know that we should be sharing that message with the people around us, especially people we love. And yet, we hesitate. We struggle with this. So, what does Scripture have to teach us about this? What do we learn? Well, today I want us to begin just a two-week series that I'm calling Reach, as we think about how we reach out to the people around us to share the message of Jesus. And to do that, I want us today to turn to a very familiar passage of Scripture for lots of you. It's found at the end of the book of Matthew, the first gospel, the very last passage that we find there. Now in Matthew, <clears throat> what we see is, and we just need to note that the gospel writers record different events in the life of Jesus, and the ones at the end of his life are sort of varied, and Matthew doesn't give us much. What he gives us is people finding an empty tomb, having a brief encounter with Jesus who's been raised from the dead, and then the guards going to the Roman authorities and saying, hey, somebody stole his body, that began this lie about that. And then this very last section where Jesus' disciples have traveled from Jerusalem and Judea in the south back north to Galilee, where they're all from. Jesus said, go to the mountain. They've gone to this mountain. We don't know which one it is. It's not named. And there they are waiting on Jesus. Okay, That's where we are in the story. And this is the very end. It's all we get. And this is what we read beginning in verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him. And you know what? I've been preaching and teaching this passage for 25 years, and I have never noticed the end of this verse. It says, but some doubted. 
And when we say, you know, there's some doubters, or there's a doubter among the apostles. Most of us could name one person, and it's Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas. We hear that. Because Thomas didn't really want to believe until he could see Jesus, like see the nail prints in his hand, and the, the, the place where he was wounded in his side. We, we know that about Thomas, but apparently he wasn't alone, because here Jesus appears to them, to all the disciples, okay? These men who have followed him for three years, and when they see him, at least some of them, not just Thomas, doubt. What, what do they doubt? And I'd love it if Matthew had given us a little more information, but that's all we get. So what are they doubting? What's going on? Well, the word there that we translate doubt could also mean hesitate. I get that, right? Okay, Jesus has spent three years with them. Follow me. They've spent those three years following Jesus, doing what he said. And then suddenly he's dead. They think it's all over. Then boom, he's alive. Man, that's a lot of up and down, back and forth. It would have been a little difficult to shift gears that quickly. Is Jesus going to be gone? And then we have to figure this out on our own again. Is it going to be over? What's happening here? I could see that. We also know that the people who witness Jesus after the resurrection, Jesus' resurrection body, sometimes have trouble recognizing him. Okay, we remember the two guys that are on the road to Emmaus. Jesus comes, joins them in their walk. They don't recognize him until they break bread together, and then suddenly he's gone, and it's like, oh, that was Jesus. Okay, so it's a little hard for people. There are other instances of that as well. So maybe at first they don't recognize Jesus, but they're struggling with this even right here at the end. And I think that's worth noting because lots of people struggle a little bit. Lots of people are hesitant. Lots of people are trying to figure this thing out. It's just part of it, and this happened even from the beginning. But then Jesus goes forward, and this is what we read. Verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, so he comes over to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay, things have changed. From the very beginning in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we hear Jesus saying, I'm coming to preach and teach the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Those words are used inter interchangeably. God is doing something different. He's on the move. And when Jesus was crucified and then raised from the dead, this kingdom begins. God's reign on earth. Everything is changing. And so the authority has been given to Jesus. He is in charge. Okay? And that continues even till today. And Jesus wants to confirm that before he jumps in to their mission. And this really changes everything for them. Verse 19. Therefore go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus says go. And this changes everything for this new Jesus movement. Because this means, okay, you can't go back to Capernaum where several of them are from. You can't go back to Jerusalem, huddle down, and just sort of wait it out for Jesus to come. You can't bunker down and live this Jesus life. Jesus says that's not the way we do it. We go. Now that has implications for us. Because, you know, for lots of us, this is a pretty comfortable place. Like, there's home, and maybe there's work, 
or grandma's house. Those are comfortable places. And then there's church. Like I come here every day. It's that comfortable to me, okay? And for some of you, it's the same. And we like it here. And that's a good thing. Because there are people here that we love and care about us. It's a place we come to worship, sort of have our meeting with God, and we may, maybe we're encouraged here. We feel better when we leave. This should be a comfortable place. But the thing is, sometimes when something gets so comfortable, we don't want to leave, right? And so it's easy for us to focus mainly on, as Christians, what happens in this place, in this building, between these walls. And Jesus says, no, I want you to go. Because the message can't stay sort of huddled up in this building. If we all just stay here and never take the message out, who is ever going to hear about Jesus? Nobody. We're, we're not going to get it done. And so Jesus says, go. I'm sure that was uncomfortable for them, and it sometimes can be uncomfortable for us. And Jesus says it this way. Here's what I want you to do. Three things. Go and make disciples. And then he changed everything again of all nations. Now remember, these earliest Christians, these earliest followers of Jesus, that word wasn't even used yet. Christians was still yet to come. These early people in this Jesus movement, they're all Jews. Jesus was a Jew. The, the 12 apostles, all Jews. Almost all of the early followers of Jesus are Jews. And here's Jesus saying, go, make disciples of all nations. People who don't obey the law, yes. People who aren't Jews, yes. People who don't even know the God of the Jews, yes. We're talking about everybody. That would have been hugely uncomfortable for them because they considered all those people unclean. And yet Jesus says, go and make disciples. Now that word disciples, it's a little bit of a churchy word, right? I mean, we occasionally use it elsewhere, but it's used in church a lot. What does it mean, follower? It just means follower. And Jesus says, go and make disciples, make followers of all nations. Followers of what? Followers of who? Followers of the church? No. It's not about allegiance to an organization. It's about following Jesus. Choosing to follow Jesus. Becoming a follower, a disciple, a learner of Jesus. Now, sometimes I think we get this a little confused, right? I mean, in, in the contemporary church, the church in our age, it's easier to try to make followers of an organization, be part of this organization, okay? It's easy to try to make followers of like a preacher, okay? Somebody who's really charismatic, has lots of energy, has lots of insight, and we get people who are followers of a person other than Jesus, and guess what? Every time, that leads to trouble. Because I don't care who you are, you're not Jesus. And if you're following somebody other than Jesus, eventually, you're going to be disappointed because they are sinners, they are imperfect, and we are called to be disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. And we are called to make disciples of Jesus Christ. So it's our job to point people to Jesus. Not to the church, though the church is a good thing. Not to somebody, though it may be a good person. 
It's still got to be about Jesus. And if we're pointing people to Jesus, we're fulfilling the mission that we've been given as his followers. Second, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, why baptism? Okay. I mean, isn't it enough that we're making people disciples so that they're beginning to follow Jesus, understand who Jesus is? Isn't that what this is all about? Why do we need baptism? Well, Jesus, he gives us baptism as a gift. Okay? It's, a, it's a moment in which we commit ourselves completely to Christ. Okay? It's there because it sets apart what came before and what comes afterwards. It's a moment in which we're participating in something with Christ. Because, you know, the water up there, it's not magical, is it? Okay? That, that water up there comes from the same place it comes to in the bathroom, in the kitchen, anywhere else in this building. There's nothing magical about getting in that water. Okay? It doesn't do anything for you. The power is in Jesus Christ. The power comes when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and make the decision to be baptized into him. That's the power. And in this moment, when we submit ourselves to baptism, man, it signifies so much about the Christian life. Because it's there, it symbolizes the, the, the washing. So our sins are washed away. We come in contact with grace. And, and it represents the fact that something within us dies and we are raised to life just as Jesus died and was raised to life as well. It points forward to everything we talked about last week in the resurrection. Okay? So it, it has meaning that we really can't find anywhere else. And it points to why we do baptism the way we do it. Right? In the New Testament, this word baptism, baptizo, means to put underwater. So when somebody baptizoed something in the first century, they were dunking it. Okay, it was going underwater. Water wasn't going on top of it. it was, they were going into the water. So if you put dishes in water, you baptizo them. All right, that's what it was. So we're trying to follow that example. And if it means all this, that's why we baptize believers. Because the power comes because there's a connection of faith in Jesus Christ. So each one makes his or her decision to be baptized. Jesus thought it was that important to include it in this moment when he's laying out the mission of the church, make disciples, baptize them. So they know that moment that they've committed themselves to Jesus Christ. And then teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, Jesus had been with them for three years. Okay. He's been teaching them what it means to be his disciple, his follower. He's been showing them how to live life. He's given them some expectations. He's shown them what's right and what's wrong, how they should treat each other, how should they should treat their families. All that Jesus has been teaching. So they are now charged with taking that and sharing it with these people who are making themselves disciples who have been baptized. Because all of that's just the beginning, right? Not the end. We're still learning stuff. 25 years I've been preaching this passage. Never noticed that it said, but some doubted, right? Still learning. We all should be continually learning. And we have to remember that when Jesus said this, none of the New Testament is written. So it's not like the apostles can go out and pass out Gospels of John or Matthew or Mark because they're, they're still decades away from being written. So it's their responsibility to go out and teach what Jesus has taught them and teach people 
to obey. They have a responsibility. And in fact, today, we have that responsibility as well. Sure, we could just give people Scripture, but we all need a teacher. We need someone who can explain some of this so we get it, so we understand it, and then we can follow it. So if we take all that, boil it down, what are we getting at? Here's the lesson for us today. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't keep it to yourself. We have been given this gift. This gift of forgiveness. We've been called into a relationship with God, the one who created us. And we've been invited to spend eternity praising him. We can't keep that to ourselves. We've got to do something with it. And Jesus says the something that we are called to do is to go. In other words, we've got to get in the game. We've got, to, we've got to get out there and be part of what's going on. You know, when I was eight years old, eight, nine, I don't know, somewhere in there, I decided that it would be great to play Little League basketball. That would be so fun. No, it was not so fun, okay? I was on this team called the Jets. We, I remember black and white jerseys. We won one game that whole season, and I scored less points than the games we won, all right? And I took less shots than the number of games that we won as well, okay? Like, I was, my motto was, put me on the bench, coach, because I really don't want to do this. This is not fun, because I didn't know what I was doing. I was terrible at it. And so I, I just, even if I was in the game, I wasn't in the game, right? Well, it's easy for us to say, God, I think I'll just, I think I'll just ride the bench. Like, there's people out there who are better at this than me. I wish I was more like, I mean, Billy Graham speaking to thousands of people, talking about Jesus, people responding to that. That'd be awesome. But God, that's not me. So let me just sort of watch. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, go. And make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. Now, I don't want to leave you with a, like, cheer you on to do this thing, and then, like, what do we do? Because it's still a struggle. What, what am I supposed to do? Well, next week, we're going to talk a little more about that. Zach's going to be preaching in our second service. We'll have our choir program at 9, and then at 10.30, Zach's going to do a little more how-to. What, what is our responsibility? What do we do with this? What, what effectively can I do, especially for the people that I love and care about? I'm not talking about just strangers that I've never met. None of the going up and down the street selling candles, okay? But what about the people that we care about? What can I do to really share this message in an effective way? We'll talk about that next week. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for the way that you've changed our lives, that you've changed eternity for us through Jesus. We're thankful for the gift of being a follower of Jesus, of looking back and remembering when we were baptized into him and the life we've been given of learning to obey. God, take what we've learned, what we know, and help us to share it with the people around us. 
Help us to be people who are ready to talk about Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe this morning you recognize that and you've, you've walked through some of this for yourself and it's time to make that commitment of baptism that I talked about a few minutes ago. If you're ready to do that, we'd love to walk with you through the process to see you through to be a follower of Jesus. If you made that decision, let us know. Come forward as we stand and sing your invitation. Let's stand again.